wanted to pray for you. You can do that. That would right. be good. Okay. Father, thank you for Jean. Thank you for being with her in her preparation. We ask that you would speak clearly through her this morning, that we might be people who are counted amongst the wise. That is, those who hear and respond rightly to your word. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Martin. Morning, all. Nice to see you here today. I haven't got a funny thing to start with today, so never mind. We're going to jump straight into God's word this morning. In the previous verses in this chapter, Jesus has been rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth, partly because he was implying that God had a special concern for the Gentiles as well as the Jews, and they didn't like that. So they tried to throw him over a cliff, but he escaped, and he came down to this fishing port of Capernaum. And as a visiting teacher, he would be welcome to speak to the crowds in the synagogue. Now, teachers of the law in those days rarely came out with their own thoughts. Their long sermons, and I think they probably were very long, would consist of quotes from illustrious predecessors. So they would be saying, this is what so-and-so used to say about the law. So you can imagine that would get rather boring. Jesus, however, spoke with such originality and such authority And that is why everyone was so astonished, because he didn't quote, so-and-so said this or so-and-so said that. He spoke with what he had seen and heard on the heart of God. And those times that Anne mentioned in her prayers, and we've just read in in that section, Jesus spent lots of time alone with his father. He knew what was on father's heart, and so he was able to preach what was on God's heart. Now, this is the first passage in Luke where we encounter demon possession. Two weeks ago, I quoted from the book Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, which gives a wonderful, vivid description of evil spirits and how they can operate in the world today. Again, it's good to remind ourselves that Satan is a created being and he can only be in one place at one time. So it's highly unlikely that he is going to be attacking us as individuals. Far more likely, as C.S. Lewis explains, it will be one of his foot soldiers who will do the deed, who will try and harass us or make us feel we are no use to God or make us feel separated from the love of God. Now, some Christians today may be fearful that they could have an evil spirit, but it is highly unlikely that a committed Christian Christian will be possessed by an evil spirit in the way this man in the scripture was. The important thing to remember is that when we are a Christian, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we are completely filled with the Holy Spirit, there is no room for anything else. And we have God's full protection. We may, however, come under attack especially if we poke our head over the parapet and say, look at me, I'm a Christian, I'm an active Christian, and that's why we come under attack sometimes. And that's why it's so important to pray for our Christian leaders and to pray for our missionaries and to pray for all those in front line of ministry. Sadly, 
Some people may be in danger of giving footholds to the devil by deliberately delving into things of the occult or being involved with sorcery as described in Acts chapter 19. If you've ever taken part in the Freedom in Christ course, and I do encourage you to do so if there is another opportunity, in the beginning of the book there is a long list of non-Christian spiritual experiences which are very unhealthy. And they can give a foothold to the enemy, including things like the Ouija board, fortune-telling, tarot cards, palm reading, and many, many others. It's a really long list. So to get back to the passage. The demon shrieked at the top of its voice, What do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. The demons recognized the opposition between Jesus and all of its kind. The demons called Jesus Son of God or the Holy One sent from God because they knew he was the Christ. They recognized Jesus for who he is. His brother James was to write years later, you believe that there is one God, good, Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. This is the proof, if ever we wanted it, that Jesus is who he says he is. So it is possible to know the truth of Jesus' identity, and yet still resist him. The demons knew exactly who Jesus was, and they hated it. They recognized that they had no authority in comparison to his authority. Praise God, Jesus gives that same authority to us, his, his, us as Christian believers. Again, James writes, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will stick close to you? No, he will flee from you. Jesus told the demons to be quiet because he didn't want to be hailed as Messiah who could save Israel from the Roman occupation. Maybe the demon was trying to work out whether Jesus' appearing on earth was actually signalling the end times, the final judgment day when the devil and all his cohorts will be completely destroyed. In fact, we know that Jesus was not coming to show himself as Messiah and King in that way, but as the suffering servant. So to reveal his identity too soon would stir up the crowds with the wrong expectations of what he had come to do. Now, William Barclay, in his commentary, says the East was full of people who could exorcise demons, but they did so in a weird and wonderful ways. But in verse 32, we see that Jesus just spoke words of authority. And now we see in verse 36 that those words are spoken with authority and power. So all Jesus needed to do was calmly but sternly speak two words, be quiet. And then he speaks four more, come out of him. And the sheer authority of his words absolutely staggered those watching as they saw his words and they saw his powerful actions. So having shown his authority in teaching and his authority and power over demons, Jesus now shows his authority over sickness and disease. Now here, Dr. Luke assumes medical language. 
Again, William Barclay's version says, Simon's mother-in-law was in the grip of a major fever. Now, Greek medical writers divided fevers into two classes, major and minor. So, in the grip of is the medical Greek for someone who is very definitely laid up with a quite serious illness. So, having rebuked the demons, now Jesus rebukes the fever. And it left Peter's mother-in-law so quickly that she was immediately able to get up and start serving a meal to Jesus and his disciples. A very much needed respite. Authority indeed. Jesus and his disciples probably really appreciated that time to have a meal after such a busy day. It's the end of the Sabbath. And no sooner has the sun set on that Sabbath day, the crowds start crowding round again, bringing their sick and their injured, their friends and their relatives. And we read, Jesus touched each one of them. He laid his hands on every one. How amazing that would have been to be in the crowd and have Jesus touch you and heal you. Just think about that for a moment. Having Jesus personally touch us and speak the words of authority that bring about our healing. And again, on this occasion, yet more people are brought who are demon-possessed and were released by the authoritative word of Jesus. Other demons who also knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And again, Jesus rebukes them because he will not let the enemy frustrate his plans. So in this passage, we have authority in preaching, authority and power in deliverance, and authority and power in healings. Now, we do tend to major in on the spectacular deliverances and healings and miracles that Jesus performed in the authority given to him by God. But healing and deliverance were not the main reason Jesus came into this world. They are, yes, an absolute outpouring of who he is. He couldn't help touching people and healing them and reaching out in love and compassion. But those spectacular spectacular events of the healings and the deliverance are both bookended by Jesus' need to preach and to teach. The main reason Jesus came to this earth was to preach the good news. Yes, he has shown the kingdom by his actions, but his priority is to speak about the kingdom of God, to tell men and women that there is a way back to the Father. Now, the first Adam in Genesis broke that perfect connection that man and woman had with God. And Jesus is referred to as the second Adam, An old hymn, do you remember it? Praise to the holiest in the height. That says, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. So Jesus came to reconnect us back to God, to make a way for us to have a relationship with the Father again. And all the healings and the miracles and the deliverances were a byproduct of who Jesus is, being the I am, the Son of God, God who said to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus said so often, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, the life, I am 
I am. These miracles naturally overflowed out of his heart of compassion, but they were not the principal reason for his coming into this world. So the last part of this talk, I want to emphasize this morning and highlight the importance of preaching and teaching and witnessing. And if it was the principal reason for Jesus to come into this world to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, then surely it has to be our principal reason too. Now we are privileged to be in a church which values so highly the word of God. Some of us have been preaching for years. Others are in training. Still others are at the very start of exploring a possible gift that God may have on their lives and a call. All the preachers in this church, whoever they are, need your prayers that we are led by the Spirit as we pray and plan and prepare and type and study. But that doesn't mean that everyone else is left off the hook. We may not be called to preach up front, as it were, but we are called to be witnesses by our life and our words. Jesus' last words to his disciples, he told them to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and to teach them. When Jesus commissioned and sent out the 12 disciples, it was to do exactly the same as he had just done. Mark 6 says, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. In fact, Luke 9 brings out the power and authority much more clearly. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. The same threefold ministry that we've just seen in Luke 4 is what we are called to do. And we are all a visual sermon by our words, our behavior, our actions, and our attitudes. We are all telling the story that Jesus has an effect in our lives. And we can preach Christ crucified by speaking about Jesus in words, as well as showing the power of Christ in our manner of living, which if it's anything like Christ has to be servant living. I came across a lovely little verse in Ezra 6 two days ago, set in the context of the returning exiles going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And after 20 years, it says, so the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper, that's the temple, under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the prophet. And under their preached words, they finished building the temple. That's how important the preached and taught word of God is. Ezra knew God's law like the back of his hand. He lived it out himself and he had a passion for sharing it. Preaching builds up the kingdom of God. It builds up God's church and God's work will prosper when the word is preached. So we too can demonstrate the power and the love of God and the authority that he's given us 
in our everyday lives. It was so important for Paul to preach Christ that he cried out, Woe to me if I don't preach Christ. And the light that shone in Paul's heart qualified him to be a proclaimer of Jesus, even though, he said, that treasure is hidden in an earthen vessel of his body. That same light shines in our lives too. And yes, we may feel we are a broken bit of pottery, an earthen vessel that God can't use, but he can. In fact, it's when we're broken that he uses us even more. The important thing, as Paul said, is that we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as his servants. That's why it's so good to hear Julia and Mike's testimony this morning and the call that they receive from God to go and live in a communist country. They are just being neighbours, showing Jesus to the people around them Sometimes I pray getting the opportunity to speak, but it's by their very lives that they are preaching the news that Jesus saves. And did you know what is really happening in this passage? As the word of God is preached, so a need is exposed. As Jesus taught in the synagogue, so the demon was forced to reveal itself. And the gospel of Christ brings to light things that are hidden. And when a need is exposed, then the words and touch of Christ can be applied to that need, bringing healing and forgiveness, restoration in relationship, deliverance and wholeness. Paul in Romans 7 writes that hearing God's law exposed his sinful state. He didn't know what it was to sin until he realized that God's law showed him that he was a sinner. It made him aware of his areas of wrongdoing and he cries out, oh wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? And then praise God, a few verses later, he has the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you hear God's word preached and taught, when you read it for yourselves, the word of God touches your heart and soul and will expose the needs that you have. You will be exposed to the light of Christ. The preached word tells us that we have a saviour who has broken the power of sin and offers us eternal life. The word of God speaks into our hearts and exposes our need for forgiveness, for love, for acceptance, for hope, and even our need to know that we have a certain future because Jesus will return to reign forever over a perfect kingdom. The kingdom of God is good news. It was good news to the Jews because they were awaiting the coming of their promised Messiah ever since the Babylon captivity. And it is good news for us, because it means freedom from slavery to sin and selfishness and wrongdoing. It's good news for us because it exposes our needs by the word of God. And we have this wonderful promise when our needs are exposed in Philippians 4 that Paul says, My God will meet all your needs 
according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is here and now because the Holy Spirit lives in the hearts of all believers. And as we are subjects of the King of Kings, we will find he will make a vast difference to our emotions, our relationships and our decisions. And as subjects of the King, we have his full authority to preach the word, to preach the good news, to release people from Satan's power, to bring healing and wholeness. That's why we have a prayer ministry team who are dedicated to praying for people. And he gives us the power to witness and live transformed lives. And how precious it is when we are able to point to Jesus by speaking with our words or showing with our lives how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Just have a quick look at your feet this morning. What does it say there? We are now entering a place of worship. Your feet are taking you out into the world to worship, to preach the good news and show that Jesus is real today and that he is the Son of God. The kingdom of God was glimpsed 2,000 years ago as Jesus walked on this earth and it will come in all its fullness in the future when Jesus returns to the earth. In the meantime, let's remind ourselves of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's the power to do everything we need to do. And you will be my witnesses. You have the power to be witnessing for Jesus. So what the crowd saw in that morning in Israel, in Capernaum, was truly amazing. Yet it was just a shadow of what God's people can look forward to today. What a mighty God we have. Hallelujah. And what good news we have to share. So let's go and share it. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah.